I'm not finished with you yet. Welcome to Rutgers ScoutCast episode 77. Your host, Sam Hellman, here as always. Scout National Recruiting Analyst Brian Doan will be with us as well. And, well, we're going to start out with a bit of a wrestling theme this week. I spent a good portion of my day last week, last Thursday, for those of you keeping score, at the barn on College Ave to uh, talk some college wrestling, talk some Rutgers wrestling with all those guys. I love anytime I get a chance to go down into their little dungeon and watch them train or even just you know see the way they interact coming in at the locker room. And I got to talk to a bunch of the guys, but I figure that the most newsworthy and the ones that most fans want to hear from, even if you don't like wrestling, if you like Rutgers, you want to hear from Anthony Ashnall and you want to hear from Nick Suriano. So let's just talk to both of them, you know? I, I interviewed both of them as well as some of the other guys. We'll, I mean, we're going to be covering them all year, every home match. We're going to Yankee Stadium, all that good stuff. But I feel like Ashnall and Suriano are the guys to start with. Who else would you start with? Ashnault Newsworthy obviously is an incredible wrestler for Rutgers, but he's dealing with injuries right now after multiple surgeries in the offseason. He was super candid, super honest. I, I loved this interview. One of the best interviews that I think I've ever had, uh, not to put myself over, just as far as the person answering the questions. I thought he was excellent, and you're going to get to hear that about, hey, is he going to come back at all this year? How does he feel about that? What's next? Will he wrestle this season? He talks about all this stuff with a cool mindset. And then you're also going to hear from Nick Suriano, the transfer from Penn State, a legitimate chance to win a national championship this year at 125 for Rutgers. You got to see Nick on video when he was announced. You've read some stuff that he's had to say in my articles, but... Some of that was behind a paywall, and I figure why not hear from Nick again. He's going to be sitting at that post-match press conference quite a bit this year. That I can guarantee. So we'll hear from Anthony Ashnault first, and then Nick Soriano. A bit of a disclaimer, the Ashnault audio sounds a lot better because during the Soriano portion of the interview, not only are people coming in and out. We're doing this outside of a locker room before practice. So people are coming in and out, shutting some doors. And also some jerk store named Brian called me during the interview. So the uh, microphone got a little bit messed up. So you're going to hear a little bit. It just won't be quite as clear. I, I did as best with it as I could. And I'm sure that we'll hear from Nick again, especially Rutgers Wrestling Media Days coming up. But I wanted to give you a taste of both of them. After we hear from our wrestling tandem, we're going to jump into the news with Brian Doan. A lot to discuss this week. Scout on the road. I was in person to see Matthew Thomas's injury. Not that I'm happy to see him injured, but I'll be able to talk about that during the show as well as where we will be this weekend. I assume that we're going to be talking some Bless on Austin. I assume we're going to be talking some Greg Schiano. And I assume we'll be opening up a mailbag later in the show. But before any of that, first you're going to hear from Anthony Ashnault. Then we're going to jump right from Ashnault to Nick Soriano. How you doing? Doing good, man. 
Uh, how's uh, how's the rehab coming? Coach has talked about it. Says you're just working your butt off to get ready. Yeah, it's the only thing I could really do besides train my mind right now and just get ready for uh, for an epic comeback. I guess uh, right now I'm just taking it day by day. I can't really ask myself to do anything else. I can't really look forward in the future because I don't know how I'm going to be right now. It's just doing as much as I can with rehab and uh, being there for my teammates. Uh, we got some new guys, a lot of young freshmen, some transfers, and just trying to get to know them a little better and just being a great teammate right now. It's like the, the only thing I can really do. Obviously, sat out before in wrestling. What do you learn from time where you can't do it all or what do you? What advice have you gotten of how to stay mentally sharp? Uh, I don't really know what kind of advice I got besides like just reading great books and watching great movies, but uh, I'm just trying to stay positive for the most part. Of course, I get a lot of questions walking around campus and just being who I am, I guess, of like when I'm going to be ready and how I'm feeling and am I stressed out about it. And uh, in all honesty, like if it's up to me, I'm, I'm totally fine. I'm taking it one day at a time and I'm going to be able to wrestle for a long time after college and it's not the be-all, end-all to come back this season for, for me. Uh, for some people it is. Uh, but in my own mind, this season means a lot to me, my last season. But uh, if it was not to happen, then it's not the end of the world for me. And uh, I'm just taking it one day at a time and doing everything I could, like I said, in rehab to get to, to get to where I need to get. You said books and movies. Wrestling books and movies? Or, like, what are you, no, what are you doing? Just, I haven't really ever read before in my life. So uh, <laughs> it's, like, hard to even read my school books. So. Just like yeah, I went good, to Rutgers. I know <laughs> good stories, like good good storybooks, uh, inspirational book. Like I'm reading about guys that uh, climb Mount Everest right now, and just the different things that they had overcome. No wrestling related stuff really, besides watching a little film here and there. Uh, I really haven't really done that though that much. I've been staying away from it, and uh, I had a lot of time to just think about myself and think about why I wrestle and what makes me want to compete. And it started out with a little dip down, but I'm, I'm higher than I ever could be on that aspect. And not that I'm more motivated than ever to come back, but I'm just ready to really um, compete for the right reasons and, and do what I love to do as a kid again. Uh, at times I've put too much pressure on myself, especially being here at Rutgers and trying to do too much for the program instead of, instead of actually asking myself, why do I like to wrestle and why do I want to compete? And what I really fell in love with the sport at a young age from. So uh, this time period has given me a lot of time to think about that kind of stuff. And I'm so excited to just wrestle with no burden on my back and the feeling of maybe I wasn't able to wrestle ever again from these surgeries to having to go out there and like got nothing to lose now. And you never know when your time's going to come to end. And I, I feel like I'm going to be able to wrestle a lot more free from it. You talked about everything that comes with Rutgers and obviously the pressure that's been on you since you committed here. Uh, how much does it help to have more guys picking up the mantle, Suriano coming here, some other wrestlers that are really starting to make an impact, not just you? It's awesome, man. Yeah. They're going to be great. They're going to be great this year with me or without me. we got some really talented people. Uh, if you, you stay around and watch practice today, there's some exciting things going on here. Uh, everyone's really putting in the full effort, not just those studs, but the guys that want to make a name for themselves that maybe didn't have as much success in high, high school. And Nick Soriano coming here is great for the future of recruiting for us. And uh, started with like Scotty Winston, Anthony Prati, then me. Now Soriano's the next guy, Richie Lewis. And these guys are going to see them being All-Americans, maybe even national champs this year if they're fortunate enough. And 
I'd love to come back and be there with them, but uh, God willing, maybe I, I won't be able to. But if I am, I'm going to give it my all, and I'm just excited to see their journey as much as I'm excited to see my, my own end. So you watch movies too. What do you watch? Uh, right now, I'm actually watching this TV series, Arrow. Oh, yeah, Stephen Amell. I love Arrow right now. I well, might have a crush a big, on the girl on that uh, show, too. Oh, which one? Felicity? Willa Holland, whatever her uh, character is. The, the, the sister. Oh, this is Thea. Oh yeah, yeah, the yeah, yeah. queen. Uh, she was on the OC. <laughs> I don't really know actor or actresses' names, but I know like their character names. As you can tell, I didn't read a lot of books in college either. Yeah. Yeah. You seem really laid back about this. Like, yeah, I, it's just like as long as you get to wrestle eventually, kind of thing. Yeah, I plan on wrestling and training for the Olympics after college. Um, I've kind of had a renewed faith since since this whole process started about my whole journey and. Uh, there are just times in college where I think I was wrestling for the wrong reasons other than uh, other than for myself almost. I wrestled to, to make Rutgers great, which nothing nothing wrong with that, but uh, it put a lot of outside pressure on me that didn't need to be there. And it put, it put the whole scenario in my head that I needed to succeed for someone else other than uh, what I really need to like do and just why I wrestle, why I just want to enjoy the sport like, like when I was a kid wrestling. So now you're just wrestling because you love it. I'm not wrestling right now, but <laughs> yeah, the plan is when I come back, I just want to enjoy every moment of it, enjoy the training of it, enjoy my teammates, and this process, having to stand back and watch them is really like let me put myself in other people's shoes and seeing their journeys and seeing the work they put in because I've been just so self-centered on myself and throughout my whole career, like I'm putting in the work, I'm doing this, I'm working harder than everyone else, and uh, I never really like stepped back and had this time to like see other people, see what they can do, and see see the journey that they're going through. Uh, last thing, Anthony, with or without you, how talented is this room and this 2017-18 wrestling team? Extremely talented. Besides the, besides the guys, the 10 guys that you'll see wrestle, even the guy, whatever guy is going to be at my weight, if I don't come back, you're going to see guys that... Uh, that never, never won, never been in the spotlight, become become part of the spotlight, and, and then you're gonna have guys like Nick Soriano who came back to New Jersey for his home state reasons that he probably told you, yeah. and he's gonna shine. And it's just gonna be awesome for Rutgers, 100%. We're gonna be in the top 10 very quickly, breaking through to close to the top five, and uh, this is gonna be the best program, a uh, best team we've had in program history, with me or without me. I guarantee it. Um, we got young guys, freshmen that are exciting. They're not, they might have not had the best high school resume, but they work their tail off and they're ready to do anything. Um, the culture has just totally changed 360 since I've even been here. Everyone's on board, everyone believes, and everyone wants to achieve the same kind of goals and team goals, individual goals. Everyone's on, on the same page. All right, man, get well soon. Thanks, man. Thanks, man. Right, you've been here for a couple weeks now. How are you enjoying it? I like it a lot. Uh, I'm being pushed, I'm training hard, and uh, preparing for the season. Uh, overall, I love it here, so I'm, I'm comfortable. What are the biggest differences about Rutgers compared to everywhere else that you've wrestled so far? They're gonna come at me and uh, try to knock me, you know, knock me down, uh, score on me. So I'm being pushed in the room. Um, you know, I got my coaches here. It's uh, this is wrestling, so it's really the same everywhere. But the mindset, I think, in this room is a little different. It's a little hungrier, a little more raw, you know. And uh, I think that uh, suits me best. So. You've talked a lot about New Jersey, representing home and all that stuff, but what is it about New Jersey that you think is special? I'm not from here, so explain yeah. it to me. Um, I just think it's the, the, the culture, the mindset, uh, the approach. I think it's, uh, I don't know, 
there's just something about it. Like they say, it's a, it's a Jersey thing. Um, uh, we, we have the coaching here, the partners, everything is right here. So everyone's preparing, everyone's hungry. I mean, maybe the difference is with, with a school like this is, uh, you know, the, this isn't a place with the big names and the, the fancy facilities. Uh, it's raw, so um, that means it's hard work. It's, you know, exceptionally hard work. And, uh, you know, there's nothing really fancy about it. And uh, I think just the, the, the scrapping and the training and, and the, the winning will speak for itself. You talked about that before, like the dungeon mentality. Yeah. How how does that help you? Because obviously wrestling is such a grind as it is, but to do it in a place like this that really does feel like a dungeon. Yeah, absolutely. I embrace it. I embrace the the dungeon like feel. The it's a doghouse in there. I mean, people are scrapping. Uh, like I said, people are coming after me, trying to you know. No one's no one's taking it easy on me. I'm not taking it easy on anyone. So I'm constantly being pushed, you know, in runs, lifts, and, and the wrestling. So, uh, yeah, I think that's the I think that's the difference a little bit. It's a little bit more raw. I grew up personally training in garages with no wall mats. Uh, I didn't have fancy facilities. That's how I began. That's how I was. That's how I was raised. You know, in uh, blue collar. So that's what I have here, and uh, I think uh, our team is is really igniting from it. So if this were Rocky, you're the guy that's in the meat cooler beating up the uh, dead cow. Yeah, for sure. In the sport, in the terms of. Uh, in the, in the aspect of college wrestling, yeah, we, you know, there's some colleges out there with some real nice facilities and all that. And we have everything we need right here. It's not like we're missing anything, but it's just uh, there's no glamour and glitz to it. I mean, we'll have that coming up in the next year and a half or so. That's coming. But right now, it's it's a doghouse. That's, that's what I like to call it. So, You haven't been shy about interest in MMA as well as wrestling. Where does that interest come from? And obviously, there's some Rutgers guys that have had success, Frankie Edgar, Mickey Gall. 100%. Frank Yeager was just in here yesterday, but uh, the interest came from just since I was a little kid. I used to watch fighting more than wrestling. I mean, that's all I did was wrestle. Uh, that's my main craft. But you know, throughout this past summer, I've been I was training hardcore, uh, hardcore MMA training, full out. I mean, I was training with professional fighters, with 10, 15, 20 pro fights, a couple guys in the UFC. Um, yeah, I love boxing. I love striking. I love doing it all. Jiu-jitsu. It's uh, I think fighting's in my blood. Uh, um, when it's physical fighting or if it's just mental, everything about fighting and, and wrestling, I, I enjoy. So uh, seeing guys like Frankie Edgar in here and his team, the Iron Army, you know, uh, it's, it's awesome. I mean, you don't get that. That's something really unique about Rutgers uh, that no other school in the country, I think, is no other wrestlers are going to be able to see that. Come into their training room, seeing a, pro, seeing a legend like Frankie Edgar come train hardcore, you know, with his guys and wrestling, you know, in your room. That's a that's a that's inspirational. That's that's you know that's an advantage. So I I, I let that fuel me. Have you gotten a lock up with him yet? Uh, yeah, we got to roll around a little bit over the summer, and uh, you know I'll be he'll be in here more. So uh, we're gonna you know I was I was talking to him yesterday, and we're gonna in the future we're gonna get going. We're gonna you know grapple a little bit, get the MMA thing going. But in terms of uh, wrestling, it, it helps us in wrestling too. You know. We got a guy with different mindset. A guy coming in here who's the UFC champion, you know. Uh, that, that's the raw, that's the blue collar mentality, the doghouse. That's what I'm talking about, the fight. That's what, that's what we bring in this room, the fight. And uh, I think everyone really praises that. So I think everyone looks up to a guy like that. And I think it's awesome for our program. So. All right, Nick, last question. Season's coming up pretty soon. What do you think Rutgers fans can expect from you when they see you take the mat? Uh, just a fearless attack. and and just hungry and a kid who just, that's thats all he really looks forward to in his day is training and uh, they can see a very, 
hungry individual who's gunning to win an NCAA title. Um, I think uh, Yankee Stadium November 4th is going to be a treat for the fans, not just to see me, but I think as a team it's going to be uh, it's going to be a really good performance. And um, yeah, I just expect them to you know watch me score points and uh, put the pressure on guys and break some people. So right on, thanks. Yep, thank you. Scout on the Road returns. Brian Doan, Scout National Recruiting Analyst, joins me now after our interview segment to get back to the recruiting world and where we will be this weekend getting on the road. Before we preview that, though, Brian, how was your last week on the road? What did you see? Bad football. But I saw St. Joe's Metuchen beat Colonia. I went to go watch John Olmstead, the 2019 four-star at St. Joe's Metuchen. And I, I came away understanding why he has all the offers. Glad we have him rated where he is. His big thing is just being balanced at the point of attack. He has a tendency to lean forward and reach, and sometimes he kind of goes to his knees because of that. But when he's engaged and he's able to just get on a block and move forward, and he, he has the strength to push and, and really control the line of scrimmage, and when it came time to run the ball – and they needed scores. It was a 0-0 game at the half, and they needed to score. They ran over his side, and he, he opened up big holes, and, and the athleticism's there. Uh, I think he's just got to get in, uh, you know, college will reshape his body a little bit. But, yeah, I came away impressed. I like Olmstead. I think Rutgers was smart to go see him first week of the season just to say that, you know, you're a priority for us, and we'll see how he feels about staying home six months, eight months from now, whenever it is that he starts narrowing down that list. I I spent the Saturday morning in Staten Island. I know that just sounds delightful. I went to go see Rutgers commit Matthew Thomas. Anytime a Brooklyn kid is playing in Staten Island, I want to go see him. I didn't get to see what I wanted, and in fact, it, it wasn't the most fun experience because as anyone knows that follows the site, Matthew Thomas had a pretty ugly injury during the game. Right before halftime, two-point conversion. He's trying to make a play on the goal line and he gets crunched up, kind of hit in the back. He's down for probably 30 minutes before they're able to get his helmet off and get him into an ambulance. The good news is that it ended up not being anything to do with concussions or his neck. It's a back injury. He's still looking to get you know the second opinion, the extra analysis to see how he's doing, if he can return this year. But it was not a fun moment. His mom was there. She was as you can imagine, not in a good state. And I guess it's one of those things where it was a, could have been a lot worse than it was. It's always my fear when you go out to watch these games that some kid's going to get hurt like that. I mean, having been on the field when Eric Legrand got hurt, because um, it was late in the game, so you go down to the field, and, and having him go past me on the stretcher on the field is something you never forget. And anytime you see a kid go down... Um, you're always concerned, but I know you and I were texting, and one of the first things you said was, you know, he can move. Yeah. And that's always the first thing. And so after after you hear that, you kind of breathe that sigh of relief, and you say, okay, um, let's get him healthy and everything like that. But it's always a scary situation. It's also you can appreciate the professionalism of some high schools and colleges because this was a train wreck. He was down for probably five minutes before the security staff decided maybe we should let his mom come see him on the field maybe you know they they were trying to restrain her wouldn't let her go anywhere near which was ridiculous 
and then on top of that, you have fans with megaphones shouting at each other because that's what you do in Staten Island, I guess. And then they had an ice cream truck and someone's Mercedes blocking the only entrance to the field, so they had to tow the cars before the ambulance could get in to get them away. Nightmare scenario where if we are talking about a more serious injury, that would not have been pretty, but everything came out okay. Uh, this weekend, Brian, a bit of a different weekend going on the road. Jewish holidays have changed up the schedules in New Jersey for games. What is your plan right now? Uh, as we tape this, my plan is to go home and look at what games I'm going to. <laughs> but it looks like on Thursday night I'm going to go watch Elijah McAllister from Rumson Fairhaven play. It's interesting, you know, Rutgers fans should know all about him because I've been writing about him for a year and a half. I'm curious to see him two ACLs, uh, he's looking at, you know, South Carolina, he was at a few weeks ago, Rutgers, it's more, um, schools want to see what he can do, how he moves. I'm excited to go watch him play, because, you know, people always talk about rankings and ratings, and, and did you rate this kid here because he committed to this school, and this kid there because <laughs> yep, he that, committed to exactly that school? that's exactly how it works. And... You know, one, one of the things, you look at Elijah, and he's been good to, to me. He's been good to scout. You know, anytime you need him for an interview, he's, he's there for you. He'll, you know, call you from the airport if he's in South Carolina, whatever it is. And I always go back to things like this is, so if I'm going to rank this kid based on what schools he's looking at, and then I have to go watch him play and look him in the face and say, well, you're better than this, but since you're going to this school, it's not how it works. And the other part is, you know, it sounds kind of silly, and 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 I don't want it to sound self-serving or anything like that. But it, but it will. but you know, a lot of times kids get excited when you come watch them play. Like I remember texting John Olmstead last week. You know, make sure he's playing. He was healthy because he missed a week earlier because he was sick. Um, and he's like, "Oh, you're coming! Oh, that's awesome! I can't! You know, great, great!" And you know, I've been telling Elijah for a while. Hey, I'm going to come watch you play. I watch you play. The first time I saw him play, I, I actually went to go see. Michael Clark play, and this was during Elijah's sophomore season. He missed all of last year with the injury. And so I'm excited to go watch him play, um, and I feel like I owe it to him to go watch him play on a number of levels. So, And then Friday, I'm going to search around and see what game I want to go to. I'm not sure where I'm going on Friday yet. Yeah, Thursday, I'll be at Rutgers for Rutgers practice and Coach Chris Ash, so that'll be a hoot. In the morning? I wish. No, I will probably be there till about 7. So I won't be able to get to a game on Thursday. Not going to a game Friday either because I am at Midnight Madness. Is that sponsored by Adidas? <laughs> uh, <laughs> basketball season. I see the thing Rutgers doesn't have to worry about it because they haven't brought in kids that cost $100,000. Um, <laughs> Rutgers, it, it's going to be a, a decent recruiting outing for them. Wouldn't be surprised if they get a couple of their commits to head down. Geo Baker went last year with his mom, had a great time. But, you know, it's just it's a stupid thing for fans to get free pizza and shirts and watch Corey Sanders dunk and watch Issa Chom hit threes with no one covering him so it doesn't really count. Like, it's just a fun little thing, and it'll give me a chance to give you guys a little bit of a glimpse of what to expect as we start covering the preseason workouts starting in October. Brian Fonseca probably has the best game of any of us this weekend. He's going... He's going to watch something from his couch and not have to go anywhere? No, even worse. Guess what? St. Peter's Prep just moved kickoff to 8 p.m. for Friday night. 
So he's gonna, oh, good for him. He's going to be in Jersey City till midnight covering that against Paramus Catholic. Till midnight? What, are they going nine overtimes? I mean, you've seen the way those North Jersey schools games. I mean, it's like NFL games, how long they take. <laughs> uh, and I don't think this will be a running clock. So each each team has a Rutgers commit in Jarrett Paul for Paramus Catholic and Zamir Mickens for St. Peter's Prep. You're a guy, Brian. There's some other big-time talents and some underclassmen to watch. Those are the main two. We'll have a ton of film and interviews from that game from Brian. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious to have Fonseca get that video of, of St. Peter's prep. Look, I, I know what you're getting in the, in the Twins who are going to Notre Dame. I know you're getting in Shane Simon from St. Peter's prep. I'm curious to see how R.J. Oban is. Uh, he's a 2019 who has offer from Rutgers, amongst some others. Um, his dad played at Louisville, has a Louisville offer. I'm curious because when I saw him in a scrimmage early in, you know, late late August, uh, he moved well. He, he he was a lot better than he was as a sophomore, and now I want to see him against some elite competition. Really quick recruiting question before we move on to talking Rutgers in Ohio State. Kevin Too Doyle. early. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Kevin Doyle. For the Rutgers fan that saw that come out of nowhere, him committing to Michigan. So did the Michigan fan. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> he is a Jersey-ish kid, but he plays at St. John's now. He's from a 7-on-7 seven seven team in New Jersey. Well, and he played his high school. He started his high school ball in Jersey. Boy, for some reason. Oh, you know what? He was Malvern prepped. That's right. He played for Aaron Brady, I think, at Malvern prepped first. Anyway, I believe that he's on his third school now. But did Rutgers miss something here? What, what, what do you think? Yes and no. They... I saw him throw at a few seven-on-sevens and a few combines in the spring, and I thought he was improved. He got his arm angle better. He threw the ball well. They already had their two quarterbacks. They they were not on him hard. He is not typically what they want. He is not. He, he has some mobility, but he's not going to run read option and get a lot of yardage for you. Um, so. I know why Michigan took him. It makes sense why Michigan took him. They're taking two quarterbacks from that standpoint, yes. And then the other part of it is, you know, Kevin had some offers, whether it was Purdue or, or so we'll, we'll call them mid to lower level Big Ten teams if you look at the standings right now. And he wanted a bigger offer and he got it in Michigan and, and he was willing to wait and be patient. So I, I don't know if Rutgers would have jumped on him and pushed for him and really made that connection. I'm not going to sit here and say, yeah, they would have, you know, he would have come anyway. So I can't really say they missed on him. I think they, uh, you know, they did their due diligence because they recruit to school. I mean, we know that they they had kids from the school visiting all spring. All right, part two of the news. We got to start on the Rutgers front, preparing for this Ohio State game. Bless on Austin, torn ACL, out for the year. Stinks for him. Stinks for the team this year. Maybe some silver lining in that. The timing of this means he'll probably be back for his senior season, but it puts Rutgers in a bit of a bind defensively. They didn't have any depth before his injury at corner, and now they literally have two guys. So they're in a tough spot. <laughs> I mean, they're in a tough spot when he was on the field. They don't have enough guys right now. Uh, yes, in the short term, it is a difficult blow for this season. Whenever you're going to lose a kid who NFL scouts are talking about being a third to fifth round pick, depending on how he tested and, and everything like that, you know, he's got great length, acceleration, speed, his ball skills have gotten a lot better, uh, you can see the work he's put in, it's a big loss. And because when you have a guy who can 
play corner the way he can play corner, it allows you to do so many other things defensively that maybe you aren't going to be able to do now because you may have to give Damon Hayes some help. I don't think they'll change things that much because that's not who this staff is, nor do I think it would matter in most games. Now, I'm a big picture guy, Sam. Right, right, right. That he's coming back next year probably makes your program a lot better because he gets to, you know, he should be cleared by spring, late summer. He'll be able to go against receivers. He'll be able to teach the younger cornerbacks. And you and I have spoken before, and I've, I fully believe this, this team is built to win more in 2018, and that's when you should really start seeing some on-field results. And he's back. He's healthy. You're a better defense. You're getting your best defensive player back that you didn't think was coming back. So if you're looking at it from the non-emotional side of things and just being objective, this could work out very well for Rutgers. Just look at the write, – write it down on paper. You've got – assuming everyone is healthy-ish and there's nothing weird that happens, you have Austin Wharton-Hayes still the top rotation next year, plus redshirt freshman Edwin Lopez who's done well so far. You have the Toledo transfer, former Ohio State commit – Trey Avery is what we're calling him today. We'll see if he has changed his name again by next season. And you've got some pretty good corners coming in that might be able to play as freshmen. You've got Tim Barrow redshirting. That that corner room's starting to look pretty good, and that corner room was an absolute. Like if you want an example of the lack of depth and training. It was like rack, a jail cell if you Oh wait, I'm sorry. <laughs> right, yeah, yes. That's my point. They're not gonna be moving running backs to corner two days before the Washington State game next season. Agreed, and I, I still think if they wanted to, they could probably move Josh Hicks over to corner and, and survive this year if they needed more depth. But to expand on that thought, Damon Hayes is going to get a lot more experience now that will help him as well next year, and maybe you're more comfortable playing with, with a nickel guy a lot more. If you're looking at it from the overall health of the program, Rutgers got better with this injury. I mean, it's 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 difficult to say. It's tough to say. It doesn't sound very nice. But when you're looking at it from an objective viewpoint, it makes them better next year. So if you want to really like get the breakdown of what's going to happen defensively with Austin out, that's on the site for our members. But, I mean, the concern is clear. You're a targeting penalty or a lost helmet or a sprained ankle away from Kobe Marfo and Zane Campbell having to cover someone the best <laughs> offenses in the country so uh, tough tough situation for Jay Neiman I'm gonna probably be giving him a little bit more of the benefit of the doubt with some of his decision making based on the hole that he's in at corner I'm sure the fans will fully support that notion and not say that you know when some walk-on gets beat for a 60-yard touchdown that the coaching is bad. I'm sure that won't happen. Part three of the news is your boy, Greg Schiano. So we're not going to go too crazy with the Schiano coverage. We didn't go insane with it this week because I think a lot of people are still mad at him for leaving, and a lot of other people just don't really care that much. I care, but it's going to be interesting to have him back at Rutgers and see what, if anything, the fans want to do for him for his 11 years of service but it really it's just going to be a lot of memories coming back whether you're one of us that covered him whether you're Eric Legrand calling the game or David Malusky calling the game or 
or your, you know, Will Gilkison on the other sidelines. There's going to be a lot of memories for every level of person at that game. I want, Brian, I want you to give me one funny Shiano memory and one memory that is either sincere or something interesting that took away, but I'll give you one of mine so you can think. We've discussed the golf cart incident on this show before. Go back to the Darius Hamilton interview out of Big Ten Media Day last year. So the manager, we're not going to throw him under the bus because it's, you know, just a kid. Just keep him on his side. Yeah. But the same guy that crashed a golf cart with two four-star and one five-star recruits in it, that same guy, he was like... I've never seen Shiano more angry with anyone than, A, when he misplaced Chase Dodd's helmet and Rutgers had to burn a timeout against Army at Meadowlands, and B, Rutgers would always run two-minute drill in practice. So at the end of practice, it would be a situation, you know, we're down by six, need a touchdown to win, no timeouts. Shiano would pick a different scenario every time and shout it out on the microphone. So he goes, we're down two, no timeouts, a minute 21 seconds to go or whatever it is and so this kid puts the score 77 to 75 up on the scoreboard and they run I think two plays and they burn their timeout and then Shiano looks up at the scoreboard to see how much time is on the clock and he sees the score and I mean it was a volcanic eruption nobody is safe from Greg Shiano's wrath I've been chewed out by him I'm sure he's been mad at you I've seen him shred his PR team. I've seen him shred every single player on that roster from Keith Stroud to Andres Morales to Mike Teal, all of them. But this was supernova. And I, this is a PG podcast, so I can't use the words that he used. But let's just say that making a 77 to 75 score did not, did not sit <laughs> well with him. Maybe it reminded him of that Cincinnati game one year. <laughs> I'll look at it. The, the funny one I have, it, it, it's it's nothing that great um, or hysterical. But I remember going down, and, and this is kind of funny and also tells you the thought process and, and what it was like and what he had built a Rutgers offer in the program into. I was going down to watch Miles Schuler play oh, for Long Branch High. I know this story. It was at Ocean High. And... P.J. Fleck had already been there. And, you know, you kind of roll in about an hour before the game, say hi to everybody. You know, I, I go get a couple pictures, make sure I talk to the coach, say hi. You know, if I don't know, I'm introduce myself, all that other stuff. So it is about 20 minutes before the game. And Long Branch had just gone into the, back into the school, to the locker room, getting ready for the open, you know, come out for opening kickoff. And P.J. Fleck comes sprinting out of this school. I mean, you know, P.J. got an NFL shot. He always joked that he was like a 4'7 kind yeah, of guy. he was a better Madden player yeah. than he was an NFL but player. But at the end of the day, he could still move and run. He comes flying out of there, makes a right-hand turn to a parking spot that's empty with a cone in it. And within 30 seconds... Shiano's red SUV, which Kyle used, I think, his whole time there. It was there. literally the same car. He just renewed yes. the lease. Yes. He pulled in. He's in the passenger seat doing his work. He's got his driver there. And gets out of the car. PJ takes him wherever they're going to go. And 
everybody's like, oh, there's Shiano, and everybody's like, hey, coach, and everybody's yelling, and all the fans are yelling, and he's kind of waving and smiling, and I thought of the ridiculousness of it, as well as the coolness of it. The ridiculousness of it is, here's a grown man sprinting out to make sure the head coach has a yeah. cone. A grown saved. man who's now the head yeah. coach at Minnesota. Minnesota. And on the flip side, it holds you the respect level and all that other stuff, and they wind up getting Miles Schuler. So that that's kind of like my, my fun story. Uh, if you want to go with your sure. serious, sincere one. Sure. Well, I uh, again, I started covering Rutgers in 2007 as a freshman in college for the Daily Targum, and Shannon had no idea who I was, but eventually figured it out because I was there every day and I wasn't afraid to ask questions like, you know, 70% of the people that cover practices now. So by the time I was a senior, we built up somewhat of a rapport. He knew my name. He would talk to me if I needed something. And I had this class called, what was it called? It was called... Uh, Good story. <laughs> uh, yeah. Tells you how memorable school was my senior year. It was something like uh, American... Pretend you're, pretend you're a writer from somewhere else and just make it up. Fair. Sports in American culture, I think it was. And I was in this class with about four or five football players... Uh, I was in the class with Kevin Somm, who you can go back and listen to, I think, episode 37 of the podcast, who told the story about when he broke his neck in uh, in high school and had concussion issues. So I wrote this big story for, like, my senior thesis and published it in the Targum of here's, here's what concussion protocol is like, here's players... I had Rutgers football players on the record telling me about how they used to disclose concussions and hide their injuries from Shiano and how it screwed them over. And then Shiano agreed to be interviewed for it too, which if you know him, he did not do a lot of press outside of his kind of daily briefing in front of the, at the time, the scarletreport.com video camera and a bunch of tape recorders. But he agreed to talk. He talked to me about how he doesn't want people to disclose injuries, whatever. He gave me very good, usable, but didn't say anything answers. But then I had a couple of players come up to me the next day in school and just say, hey, coach just read the entire article to us in the locker room. And this was like a 2,000 word article, like like way too long, 40 column inches. And he sat the whole team down, read the whole article to all of them as like, a, I guess it was like a warning. Like it was basically, it was, hey, stop hiding stuff from me. But it was cool to hear that, that I did that and hopefully it helped some younger players to be more open with injuries because we all know what happens when you hide injuries and you just get hurt worse. That's a pretty good story. That, that was worth it. I'm a good storyteller. I think sometimes. Yeah. I don't think anything anything ever jumps out. So I'm, I'm going to give you this one. I would say, now I covered Greg, um, got to know him. Uh, I think people see what they want to see with him. Um, he can be incredibly tough. He can be incredibly emotional. He can be uh, anywhere in between that. He can be nice as can be. You know, like I said, he can be tough. I, I, I always thought he was tough. I didn't think he was mean. And there's a big difference. He'd go to bat for his guys all the time. Um, I, I think... As time has gone on, I think people can appreciate more what he did at Rutgers because if you look at the most successful five or six year span in the program's history, it's not even close. 
I mean, it's not even close when it comes to playing at a big time level and all that stuff. And, and you see just how hard it is and, and what he did with getting the stadium and closing everything. He gets the job in Tampa. And we haven't talked for a while. And all of a sudden, late June, I get a text. Brian, happy Father's Day. Hope the boys are doing well. It's nice. And there will be times that, and it's not just me, it's other people get them too. And it's not a group text because they're personalized. And you'll get that happy Father's Day, um, happy holidays, Merry Christmas, hope it's good, hope you're enjoying your time with your family. And I don't think people see that side of them. I think that it's more just, you know, he's the coach and that's it. And I know in talking to boosters and alums and former players, he always has time for him. Always has time for him. And I think the new head coach always has time for him too. But to me, that that's kind of like the, the, it lets you behind the curtain a little bit on, on who people are. Um, because you can sit there and it's coaches and coaches and, and we've covered tons of coaches, Sam, but when you see people and talk to people all the time, you also develop relationships, either working or personal. Most of mine are, have remained working relationships with people I cover. Very very few friends came of people I cover because I, I try not to you know, cross the line. But that's the one that stood out to me is, is you know, he, he still thinks in that way as a person before a coach. I guarantee you that when he sent that text, he was like, oh, yeah, Brian's kids. The ones that came up and handed him a cell phone in the middle of my press conference. No, 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 it wasn't handed the cell phone. It was take your kid to work day, and I took my older one. And at the time, he was probably seven, and I cleared it. You know, Jason Baum was a PR guy, great dude. I'm like, yo, can I bring my kid to practice? And he's like, I'll check with coach. Yeah, so he, he, he allows it. Greg comes in for the press conference after, and I say to my kid, hey, just sit here. Don't say a word they're taping this stuff do not say a word don't make a sound he's like okay literally a minute in i hear hello hi mom and i'm like what the heck and i had given him my cell phone to play on while i while we did the interviews and she called because it was a lot she wanted to say hi and he answered and so greg stopped the press conference and just laughed and i, I thought that yeah that, that's a good one <laughs> Welcome into the Rutgers Scoutcast Mailbag. We're a late addition to a developing story this week. Obviously, hot topic, whether you're in Adidas school or not. The question on topic this week came from one of our premium members of the site. The question is, what do you make of this basketball scandal? Oh, it is an absolute mess. And I think when it's all said and done, the reforms that it will have in men's basketball and in football recruiting will be absolutely enormous just from the standpoint of I mean this is an NCA stuff this is FBI stuff this is go to jail stuff um, go to jail for a long time kind of stuff and at, at the essence of it is you have whatever you want to call them runners street agents AAU coaches whatever where where you always thought that you could funnel things and do things like that funnel money and I, I remember when I covered UConn there was a big issue in terms of UConn was paying an AAU team twice as much as they paid another AAU team because that 
you know, or a traveling team, because that one team that was going to scrimmage against their team was coached by an AAU coach of a kid they were recruiting. So there were always ways to try to, you know, manipulate the system, and, and that's why you can't play marathon oil in places like that anymore, um, and athletes in action in preseason for basketball. And it's one of those things where you, you, you always joked, ah, you know that's going on, you know that's going on. How did that guy wind up there? How did that guy wind up here? Um, I remember when I was covering UCLA, there was a kid, Renardo Sidney, who I think was involved with one of the Mississippi schools, and then it was a whole, you know, then UCLA got involved, and then the AD stepped in and said, no, 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 there's too much baggage, you are not recruiting him. Um, there's also going to be a ton, and I mean a ton, of nervous coaches out there. Head coaches, assistant coaches, AAU coaches. There's going to be a ton of them. When you start talking about wiretapping, ay ay ay. I yeah. mean, th this is going... And, and then, you know, you look at the seven-on-seven -seven circuit and the personal trainers in football recruiting, and it's not nearly as prevalent as in basketball. But, I mean, I'm not going to sit here and start naming people, but... You can sit there and say, hey, I wonder what went on here, here, and here with kids. Um, I, I think there is big reason to be concerned if you're a, a coach who wasn't on the up and up. And I think in the long run, it will change a lot about how recruiting goes. I think the interesting thing with wiretaps is what conversations we're listening to. I mean... You think reporters don't call coaches to talk about recruiting and stuff? I wonder how many of our colleagues are going to come up in the basketball circles with how this is going. That could be interesting to follow as well. Well, it, whether you do that, that's not breaking the no, law. No, no, I just think it's interesting. It's not breaking the law. We're we're talking about you know the law and and why is it why is the FBI involved? Because you're talking about public universities that get grant money and all that other stuff, and so now it becomes you know and, and you're talking about between states. It's it's really a complex issue. I don't think the FBI makes a lot of mistakes when they do investigations like this. And then you're going to have, okay, who's going to decide to sell out or, or, or say, okay, give me immunity and I'll talk or reduce my sentence and I'll talk. And that, that is something really, um, really to watch. And, and it, it drives me back to Sam, I know you love when I tell my stories from ages ago. I need my UCLA belt. No, this like. goes before that. It goes before that. It goes to UConn. And if you if you look, I think it was Dan Wetzel just did a story on a guy named Myron Piggy, who back course, in the yeah. early 2000s decided to go to jail rather than give up some information. And I remember covering Jim Calhoun, and at the time the UConn locker room was open after the game. And I walk in after a game at Campbell Pavilion, and they had, I can't even remember who the player was who was visiting. Obviously a big-time kid. He may have been the number one kid in the country. I just can't remember his name. And I walk in, and Myron Piggy's in the locker room. And, all, and there was some stuff going on as far as, you know, shadiness and everything at the time involving him. And I remember talking to Jim afterward and being like, are you recruiting him? And he's like, yeah. And, and again, coaches could talk about it because if you're not writing it, they can talk about it, right? I mean, that's something that's you just can't publicize a yeah, recruit. You can acknowledge if you're right. recruiting someone, and, and that means you bring Myron Piggy with you, and you're going to have him in your locker room all the time and around your kids. And 
UConn wound up not getting him. I can't remember whether they recruited him or not, but my point is this stuff's been going on a long time. Um, and there's, there's far-reaching ramifications for decisions you make, whether you decide to pursue somebody or not pursue somebody. And this, to me, is only the start of it. It comes at the start of college basketball season, which, as we all know, is a one-month sport anyway in the eyes of America with the NCAA tournament. Nobody cares until, you know, early March, maybe late February with some conference tournaments. But uh, this is a really dark issue for college basketball, and I'm curious to see how it comes out of it, and does it come out of it a better more cleaned up sport or does it just come out of it tarnished and you can never fix it as far as Rutgers or any impact there look we're going to see what happens with Adidas I mean they're coming up a lot in the headlines early but you know we'll, we'll see who knows what's going to happen again we're recording this what 26 hours yeah. after the story broke did in recruiting it could end up benefiting Rutgers because I've seen zero evidence of Peichel and his staff trying to break rules to get kids and I think Peichel has a a reputation as being a clean hard-working recruiter so now if you are that four-star kid that has some options but Rutgers is one of them maybe you say well this guy's running it pretty clean I don't want to run the risk of being involved with any of this stuff that's going on why don't I just go to the school that wants me that runs a clean program I think that's gonna maybe help Rutgers but again who knows it's been a day yeah it's been a a day it'll get a lot deeper I would think but I I will say on a lighter note and and part of it's a little joking part of it's not is Rutgers just gets involved with Adidas (laughs) of course I mean it's it, it could have been like Bill and Sue's sneaker shop and if Rutgers signed with brand. if Rutgers signed with Bill and Sue's sneaker shop, they would be the ones getting investigated. It's I mean it's it's so Murphy's Lawish um, for Rutgers. It, it you know I look at it from that standpoint and and it gives me a little bit of a chuckle. But this is I think this is one of the most serious issues you'll come across in the recruiting world. Well, one of the least serious issues that you'll come across is our off-topic question this week got this one from one of our student listeners a Rutgers student and uh, the question was Henry's Diner's in the news right now on campus what is your opinion of Henry's Diner why is it in the news all right so this is pretty cool you're not going to understand this but you can now use a meal swipe to get ten dollars off Henry's Diner if you're a student so you use your meal plan for every meal I think that it's because like you once, could buy like a like a seven dollar meal and get three dollars back. There's some I don't I, there's some limitations okay. like uh, at the stadium you couldn't use more than two swipes a day for twenty bucks. But I, so basically you can get you know your so basically you can eat at Henry's Diner and get ten dollars back with your swipe. You don't get ten dollars back or ten dollars off. Yeah. with your swipe. Correct. But again, what's your opinion as someone without a meal plan? Well, I like food, so that's first of all, which is good. Look, I've I've gone there with my kids uh, and my wife. Good place. I like diners. Diners, to me, are, you know, having lived in other parts of the country where they don't have diners. I grew up on the Silver Diner. Yeehaw. So you never... I, I, I always liked them, even when I lived in Connecticut. We had one that we used to eat at every Sunday. They're awesome, and I think Henry's has some really good food at it. Uh, 
the service wasn't always the best. It's a little different feel because it's on a college campus, but yeah, I, I always enjoyed going there and I still enjoy going there. Um, I'm not gonna mention who, but my first meal with somebody who used to work in the athletic department was at Henry's Diner. Now, whether that person should have come walking in with a high school coach on speakerphone talking about things walking through Henry's Diner is another issue but yeah that's where and that's where I chose to eat I'm like hey you want to eat on campus they were new um, I wanted to say hi they can know me I get to know them and I picked Henry's Diner I've had a couple I guess you'd call them business meals like that at Henry's Diner and I would I go a couple times a month during basketball season because I I don't like eating at the rack uh so I'll try and go there, Kilmer's Market, or one of the places across the street. Um, I guess, how do I feel about Henry's Diner? I'll, I'll quote uh, I'll quote Christopher Mintz Plus and say, I like the idea of it more than I actually like it. Having a diner on campus is a great idea. Meal swipes, awesome. I love that the menu is a newspaper, as someone that used to write for a newspaper on that campus, but there's cheaper diners in the area. But again, it's fine. There's, they got some good stuff. I like it. It's okay. My first published article of any kind outside of my high school newspaper was for the Livingston paper. I was a Rutgers College student on Bush, I mean on, on College Ave, but my first story published was in the Livingston paper. I don't even know if it exists anymore. What was it? Livingston campus to build first building? <laughs> That's a good one. That's a good one. No. reckon the last thing y'all want to hear is an hour-long Rutgers ScoutCast 77, so I'm going to go ahead and take this one home, as they say. It was fun having some wrestlers on the podcast. I think that we will have some wrestlers back on the podcast in about a month when we're talking about Media Day and the start of the season at Yankee Stadium. Thanks to Anthony Ashnault for what I thought was just an incredible interview. Really, really great very open, honest, and relaxed about what would totally have me stressed out if I were in his position. Nick Suriano, as you can hear, he's all business. Brian Doan and I are not all business in the news, but I hope people enjoyed the mix of some fun and some storytelling and everything that we brought to the table this week. I know I have teased some good site news the last couple of weeks on the show, and while I cannot openly comment yet at this time, oh, I sound like a head coach. I know there's some rumors on the internet out there. I'll comment when I can comment, but I'm really excited about the future of Scarlet Report with uh, everyone on our scout network. Maybe next week I can discuss this stuff on the show. Hopefully. Either way, stay tuned or hit me up on my email or Twitter if you have any questions. If I can answer them, I will. There's a good chance I can't answer them right now, though. Uh, My weekly request to everyone, if you have not done so yet, it's more important now than ever with others trying to get into the podcasting game in Rutgers country, even if it's as simple as retweeting the story or telling one of your friends to check out an episode or liking the show on Facebook or anything like that, all ratings in Apple Podcasts are very helpful. If you have an Apple device, you have an iTunes account, all you got to do is type in Rutgers in your podcast app. That's that little purple microphone symbol on your homepage. 
type that in, search Rutgers, and you click on the Rutgers Scoutcast, and you can leave feedback, a five-star review, what you like about the show. Even what you don't like is okay, too, but that's the best way to bring in new listeners, and it's the best way to help keep this show going for another, heck, we're getting close to that century mark, 23 more episodes. Can't wait to get there, and thanks to everyone that's been with us from episode one, episode 20, even from episode 76. Whenever you got on, I appreciate it. I am the host of the Rutgers Scoutcast, Sam Hellman. Thanks for listening.